always remember what matters most to you and don't ever sacrifice that. Maybe you've heard the analogy of the balls in the air, some are plastic, some are glass. Like you can drop some balls sometimes. They're plastic. You can you can let them fall. But there are glass ones that we can't. And so just remember what your glass balls are, but work hard. Stay up late. Welcome, everybody, to the Slow Smoked Business Podcast. I'm Jared Morgan, joined by Franklin Hayes. And today, our guest is going to be Emily Lay, CEO of Simplify. Now, Emily does a lot of things. She's an incredible entrepreneur, and her story is super inspiring. What we wanted to talk to her about today is how do you have the grit and the strength to make your business successful and still keep sane? How do you still keep the balance in your personal life? Emily is the best person we know to talk to about this, and we're really excited to hear what she has to say. All right. Well, we are happy to have uh, our guest today. Uh, this is someone who has definitely made her own way in the world um, and is leaving a positive impression with her brand and its philosophies. She is the CEO of Simplified. She's a best-selling author with a huge social media presence. Um, and most interestingly to me, she actually decided to double down on the print and publishing industry around the same time that I was actually making my exit as a newspaper reporter because that industry was struggling so hard. So she has had a lot of success in an area where more traditional organizations have had a lot of failure in recent years. And we are here to learn all about that. So please welcome Miss Emily Lay. Hi. Welcome, Emily. So good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled. And so um, this is a, this is going to be an easy conversation because if it doesn't already like jump off the screen, uh, we I, I've known Emily for a long, long time. We're old, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, little little. I, I put the four handle on it this year, which was really wigging me out a little bit. Hey, I'm next year. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, I. When we first started this podcast, I th you were one of the people I would love to talk to because I was very fortunate to have known you back when you were Emily Cowan, right? Back in school yeah. and then sort of have watched you become, you know, Emily Lay and all the cool things that you've done with your business and with your community and everything else. So I've got like a ton of really interesting questions that I want to ask you and I'll probably won't get to all of them, but you know, so hang in there with me. So thank you for being here. Of course. I'll start by asking, do you remember, um, this was probably, I think it was 2008, and um, you, at some point, you were, you had been working some jobs, you had been, you know, they were great jobs. Like, I think you, you were at, at the ballet in Pensacola, Florida, and you worked some different places. Mm -hmm. But you had, you, you went out in your backyard, and you did, this was before selfies, you did selfie <laughs> style. Right. Yep. And you and you like did this manifesto video of you were going for it. Do you remember that? I cannot believe you remember that. I do. I'll never forget it. It still lives on the Internet somewhere. It was I, I was ready. Like I was and that was a time. I mean, I'm sure you remember but like that was a time when people weren't like leaving their full time jobs to go start things. You know, founder wasn't cool yet. Right. No, founder was not cool yet. We both grew up in a, in a similar background, right? We grew up in the same town and where, you know, where we grew up, there just wasn't a lot of tangible role models that you could see like, oh, that person like went and made their own thing. Right. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, my parents, I, I grew up, I was fortunate to grow up with parents who were like, you can be anything and we will cheer you on from the front row, no matter what it is. But 
my dad worked at the power company for a zillion years. My mom was a teacher for a zillion years. They found their vocations and they went for it and they stayed there, you know, until they retired. And so, no, I, I didn't have any sort of role model that was making something from scratch, you know? No, for sure. So, so the, you, you do this video, you go in your backyard and you do this video and I wish I could remember the whole thing. I wish I could go find it and watch it again. But the, the, like the, the point of the video was you were looking everybody in the eye and you were saying, I'm going for it. And you literally said, I'm going for it. I'm doing it. And I remember thinking, I, I remember this is exactly what I thought. I said, either she is about to put a dent in the universe or that is going to be a really awkward video in a couple of years when she's back to whatever. And I loved it. Right. Yeah. And so what gave you the courage? Cause you didn't just go for it. You made yourself accountable to the world. What gave you the courage to do that? That is a great question. I'm absolutely going to look that video up when this is over. I just was born with some grit in me, I think is the answer to that question. I don't know. Like I I will I, I will outwork anybody. Like I if if I get my heart set on something, I will 100% outwork you. It's just who I am, who I've always been. I think um growing up in dance and in other things, like I just had to work so hard. And so when I got my heart set on, you know, I didn't want to go sit in an office. I had done that. You know, I had a master's degree in public administration. I was climbing that corporate ladder and I was sitting in, in board meetings in office chairs and I just was miserable. And when I got my heart set on starting something of my own to really, really make a difference, I mean, I just didn't sleep. You know, I was just I was ready and I was ready to tell the whole world, apparently. <laughs> now, when you were if you can try to transport yourself back into that mindset, did you know what you were going to do yet? No, I had no idea what it would turn into. I knew back then I knew that I wanted to start something. I had two friends who both are from Pensacola. One of them had started a company making aprons. And this was like before Etsy or any of that stuff. She was making aprons. And then another friend was a photographer. She had decided to start taking pictures for people. And again, this was like a novel thing to start a company and put your name on it or start it from scratch. And I just kind of saw them doing that and was like, why not me? Why? I could do something, you know? And I, um, when Brian and I got married in 2008, I couldn't afford the stationery that I wanted for our wedding. I wanted crane stationery. This is like, the, if you know paper is the end all be all. Oh yeah. And I couldn't afford it. And so I made my own and they ended up turning out beautiful. And so I decided, you know what? I like doing that. Um, I kind of like this graphic design thing that I did not go to school for and decided to kind of just see if I could make paper things and sell them and sharing my story so transparently. You know, this is back when like Twitter was the thing and there was no Instagram and Facebook was kind of cool. Elon would tell you Twitter's still a thing. <laughs> Elon would tell <laughs> Yeah, apparently it is. Um, so I, you know, just kind of decided I was going to share it very publicly. And that's how I sort of started developing a community and a following and whatnot. Um, but no, I, I had no idea what it would turn into. So you start with paper. And one of the things that I think jumped off the page, right, when you started doing that was how good you got at branding. Like yeah. you're right out of the gate. You were really, your brands were always clean. The things that you put out were crisp and distinct. And did you, is that like innate something that you possess like as a talent? Well, clearly it is. But is it something that you went to school for or honed it in a certain way? No, um, 
I think with with all the things that I've done with Simplified, I kind of drew on past professional experiences. Like when I was the executive director of Ballet Pensacola, I was 23 years old. And when you work, working for a nonprofit is a lot like being an entrepreneur because you you often like have to create things from scratch. You don't have a lot of revenue, you know, in the beginning to work with. Um, and it's I think it's worth saying, too, like there was never any capital for Simplified. Like I ne- it's a debt free company, always has been. Um, that was just something that was really important to us from the be- from the get go. So as not to put too much risk, you know, on us. Um, but when I was at the ballet, we couldn't afford to pay designers to come in and create ballet posters and marketing materials and that sort of thing. So it was just me on the, the PC with Microsoft Publisher, didn't even have Illustrator, trying to make these things. And I loved it. Like I, something lit up in me when I did those things. And so I kind of drew on that to, you know, the scrappy side of branding, of design to create these brands that were more than just pretty, but had like real meat and real heart to them. Um, And then, you know, being debt free, I was working at the University of South Florida for two years full time while I was trying to get this thing off the ground in the middle of the night. And I was able to take the money the company made and put it right back into it rather than paying myself a paycheck. Um, And so I was able to pay I had a designer that I worked with pretty early on that helped me kind of flesh out the brand and the logo and all that stuff. So can you talk a little bit about uh, building a meaningful brand? Like what specifically does that mean? Because I know for somebody like myself that's worked in marketing and advertising, there's kind of an innate thing that advertising people maybe skip over when they're trying to explain it to a more technical person, or maybe it's more of an intuitive thing. Can you can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. You know, I, I realized early on that people were buying into me and not just the paper I was making. I mean, the paper was great, but it it was like a novel idea or a really cool thing to have a person that was creating it for you that you wanted to cheer on and you wanted to believe in. And so my first customers were friends and, and that sort of thing. But then this social media following came along and said, like, we want to support this dream you have and the stuff you're doing. And so they would buy. And over time, I realized that, like, the the support, the incredible support we've had has not just been because we make beautiful planners or beautiful products. It's because they really buy into what Simplified is all about. And we have a, I want to say it's like a 72% returning customer rate. And it is so, right. Like most companies have a really hard time retaining customers. And we don't have that problem at all because people are bought into what we're all about, not just the product. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's like that old adage of sell the, sell the problem, not the product. Um, people really identify with being an overwhelmed mother or being an overwhelmed woman in today's world. So to kind of give some context to that, in 2011, when my son was, my oldest son was born, I was still doing the branding thing, the, the um, wedding invitations and, and that sort of thing. But I was completely overwhelmed. And I had this new baby that I loved so much. And I had this business that I loved so much. And for whatever reason, every other woman I knew was doing it really well. And like, perfectly, perfect hair, perfect meals, perfect children, perfect house, perfect laundry done all the time. And I was just trying to keep my head above water. And so I went to Target and I took my baby and I was like, I just, you know, as as we do, we go to Target looking for solutions to life. I was trying to find a planner or something to like help me get my life together. 
So we're, I'm looking for this planner. There's not one. Everything's overwhelming. And I think, how great would it be if I just had a tool that wasn't overwhelming? So I went home and took a Sharpie and a binder and some paper. And I made, really just for myself, like a page that I could use to keep track of my to-do list and my schedule and what was for dinner. And that was it. And it really helped me feel like I could streamline all the stuff that I had to get done, but also carve out time to focus on what really mattered most to me. And once I started realizing how much it was helping me, I thought, this is this is the next paper good that I'm going to make. Like, this is really, there's nothing out there like this. And I loved it so much because I cared deeply about it. It was solving a problem for me that was like wrapped real tight around my heart as a mom, as a wife, as a businesswoman. And then we started making simplified planners. And that's how that, you know, all came to be. But how did I know that it was my thing? It's because it's the thing I could do until three o'clock in the morning and sleep for three hours and wake up at six to go to my other job. I mean, it, 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 I thought about it all the time. It was every every waking moment that I wasn't being a mom or, you know, trying to keep life together. I was, was working on this business. And I think that when you fall in love with something that much and it's that tied to who you are, especially for me, that's why I first went into nonprofit work because I wanted to do work that really mattered, that I cared about, that made me want to put my feet on the floor in the morning. And that's what Simplified became. The other thing was I really wanted flexibility to be a mom, to be the kind of mom I wanted to be. My mom was a teacher and she had flexibility in the summers and after school and she was always there at all my things. And I wanted to be that kind of a mom. The corporate track I was on was not going to line up with that. And so creating a business that gave me flexibility and freedom in a lot of ways like that, that was cool. So Jared, uh, I have a question for you now. Um, how many times have you actually gone into Target looking for a solution for life <laughs> and found one? <laughs> Uh, so I didn't find Proctor U at Target. That's for sure. I usually find inspiration in like the meat aisle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I get, I go down the, I go or the, or you know how like they, they get that one section of Target and they just like clean it out and it's, and it's, and then every season they put the things there to give you FOMO. Like, oh my God, I'm not grilling enough. Look at all this stuff. And then they put the Christmas, oh, there ain't enough lights on the house, That's you right. know? And so. I get when it when they start putting the summer stuff out and there's grills and tongs and chairs and like I'm going why am I not living like a Zach Brown song in real life you know what I mean it's, I agree I get inspired I get down on myself I'm like I'm not I'm not doing the stuff I you know it, it it's funny you, know, you talk a lot you you talked about balance like I think you know a lot of what our show is for is for people that are are starting but Franklin and I are pretty passionate about like the concept of balance. And we have a a thing that we do every year. We call it the living ledger that, you know, sort of lets you plan out your, your, your personal life, your spiritual life, your professional life. And it's a, one of the things I always say is like you, it is inevitable that you in life, if you're ever going to get anywhere, you have to run out of balance for a period of time. Right. Fact. So there is times that you're going to have to over leverage on your career to get anywhere. But then there's a whiplash effect that if you don't, push things back into the other facets of your life, you're going to find yourself really out of whack at some point. So when do you know it's time to let off the gas a little bit and lean into your personal life? Or how do you find that balance so that you can keep being who you are? 
I often think about life and seasons. And there was a season for me that was work until 3 a.m. and sleep for three hours and then go to go to work again. Um, I, I also think it's a lot like riding a bike, right? Balance. We're constantly shifting our weight from left to right to keep from face planting. Because if we go too hard to the left for too long, that's exactly what happens. And for me, there are times where I have to lean really hard into work. And then there are times when I have to lean really hard into family. And it, that could look like years leaning one way. It could look like minutes. It could be seasons. But when I when I have leaned real hard into work, let's say it's a launch week for Simplified or I'm writing a book or something like that, um, I give myself the grace to do that, right? There, there's a lot of, you know, we talk a lot about guilt and mom guilt and dad guilt and all of that. But like there's it's important to give yourself the grace to go through those seasons because you're not going to get anywhere without them. Um, and then it's important to counterbalance that with leaning hard the other way. And I I just I honestly just think about it like that. And it it wraps me up in a little bit of grace when I have to lean w- really hard one direction. You had mentioned at the top of this that you were looking at other moms and felt like they were doing things, you know, picturesque perfectly. Um, now that you're on the other side of this and, and you feel like you, you're pretty confident in your success, uh, do you still feel that way? Do you, have you come to some new understanding that it was really just a mirage and that nobody really has it all together? I think that's an important part of becoming an adult for my journey is that like everybody's kind of baking it up as they go along. So talk a little bit about that if you can. Some people just fake it a lot better than others. <laughs> I mean, I'm listen, I'm turning 40 next year. I have three kids. They're older now. I feel like when you're when you're new in business, or you're new in life or new in marriage or new in parenting, like it's easy to look at people who are walking alongside you or a little bit ahead of you and be like, they just got it all figured out. Well, they just got lucky or they just had whatever. No, there. Everybody is like the duck paddling on top of the water. Like you don't see the feet that are just paddle, 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 paddle. You know, um, and also I think like as you get older, you realize it, it, we're all just trying our best. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. You use the word grace a lot, and one of your books was called Grace, Not Perfection. Yep. It's interesting because Franklin and I have a saying that we use a lot uh, when we're talking to startups and things about progress over perfection, which I think is maybe related, but um, tell me what you mean when you, you wrote a whole book about it. So when, when you say grace, not perfection, what do you mean? For me, that means I'm a recovering perfectionist. So that's what I like to say. Um, I would really like all of my, you know, I'd like my home to be ready for a magazine editor to come shoot at any moment's notice. Um, I would like, you know, all of my business to do is to be tied up neatly at the end of the day, but life doesn't work that way. Um, especially with business and with kids and with all the things. And so for me, the grace part comes in where we allow ourselves to find the joy, the happiness in the messy middle of things. Um, I've I've also kind of always been that person that's like, oh, I'll, I'll be happier. I'll be joyful when I get to X, Y, Z, you know, when, when this happens or that happens or this season or that season. And that's no way to live life. You know, so I think it's just important to give yourself the grace to to go through whatever season it is you're in and and find the joy in it. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do, though, because I mean, I've even found in my life, I'll get to the end of the year and I'll do some like personal reflection. And when I look at the scorecard of what happened of the past year, I'll be like, this was a good year. Yeah. And then I will remember how 
I was acting like it was not a great year, right? It was, I'd be completely stressed out, um, spun up about something that never came to be, you know, thinking I'm supposed to be somewhere I'm not, looking at the next chapter, trying to get there. How do you, how do you force yourself? I know I'm talking to you like Instagram Oprah. That's what I always call you. So (laughs) you're my Instagram Oprah. So hang tight. But I want some, I want some Buddha, you know, from Emily Lay. How do you, how do you make yourself get present in the season that you're in, right? How do you make yourself go, hey, things are really good right now or things are how they are and I'm present? I love this question because it's something I think about a lot. Um, and I have a story to tell you. So 2017, I it was like an epic year because it was the year of the epic meltdown. Emily's epic meltdown. We've all, we've all had them. Uh, I was, the business was just booming. We were six years in. It was doubling year. Our revenue was doubling year over year over year. It was just bananas. And we were, you know, we had this booming online store. I was writing, I had written two books. We had, uh, we had a wholesale program. We were being carried in 800 stores around the world. Like on paper, that is amazing. It sounds real good in a bio, right? Just sat, just uh, was doing great. I was dying. I was absolutely miserable. I had infant twins at home and had been on 48 airplanes that year. It was just absolutely chaos. And I heard this, uh, I was listening to an audiobook. It's called Present Over Perfect by Shauna Nequist. And she told this story, and I have to share it with you because it's just so good. It's about chairs. And she said that these two pastors were talking to each other. And one was a pastor of a church. Uh, He was an older pastor, a seasoned, you know, at a very seasoned church, um, a medium-sized church. And then there was this young pastor of this new church that was just booming and growing. And all these people were coming. And the new pastor was saying, I just don't know, like, how this keeps happening. We keep growing and growing and growing. And people, it's just nuts. And we didn't even do anything. And it's so hard. And it's so busy. And the old pastor looked at him. He said, Yes, you did. And he was like, no, we, we really done nothing. And he said, no, you kept putting out the chairs. And mm. I was like, mic drop. And I remember laying on my bed and just sobbing. And Brian came in and he was like, what's the matter? And I said, it's the chairs. We put out too many chairs. And he was like, okay. So I explained the story. And he said, you're this is what you wanted. You wanted this business to be like so big and so amazing. You're doing all these things and you're writing books. And like, it, it's happened. You're here. Why are you crying? And I said, this is not the good life. Like, this is not what I wanted. So we, long story short, we ended up cutting our wholesale program. We cut 40% of our revenue. And the next year, we doubled our revenue because we started focusing on where the bread and butter was and what really mattered, which was, you know, connecting custom- to our customers directly. All of that to say, I think it's so important to continually, like, every year or every month or every day, redefine for yourself what the good life looks like. Like what, when will you have made it? When will you be able to look around and say like, look what we did, we're doing it. And for me, it was not to say we were in 800 stores around the world or that, you know, I was on an airplane all the time. It was to say, hey, I got to be my kid's kindergarten room mom and I got to run a multi-million dollar company at the same time. Like that to me is the good life. And I constantly have to like redefine that as we get into new, you know, new, new product collections and new opportunities and whatnot. I have to constantly say like, am I, am I living it? Am I still in car line at three o'clock every day? Because to me personally, that does not have to be your good life. 
to me personally, like that's the good life and that's the life I want to live. And that's that's what I'm constantly checking back on to say, like, are we still there? Yeah. Did you tell that? Do you have that chair story in one of your books? Uh, somewhere. I think so. It's yeah. Yeah, because so, so my wife has read all of your books. And at some point she came and told me the exact same story. Oh, she did. And every I've time mentioned she, it a few yeah. times. <laughs> and every time she's every time she feels like we're overcommitted, she calls it pulling a chair back. You know, we got to yep. pull this chair back or whatever. And it's really the truth. You keep you keep opening yourself up to more and life will fill it with more. And and then you you end up in a place where you can't um, even enjoy kind of where you are or what's happening. And it's like you said, you you run in seasons, right? And you're in a season and sometimes it's a busy career season and sometimes it's a slower season and you can lean into more personal stuff. And then sometimes you do what you just talked about and you're able to mix the two really, really well. But there's a there's a, a Ben Rector song right now that's um, that I really like. And there's a line in it that that is stuck with me and he calls it eating the fruit that's in season. Right. Ooh. Which is like the the idea of instead of, you know, pining for something that's not in season right now. Oh, why don't I have more time to this? Or Just sort of enjoy what's happening in life right now. <laughs> Eating the fruit that's in season. Yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> and, and he sort of, he like, it was like in a run of really interesting lines that he puts in that song. Um, but it, it, you can tell he sort of wrote it about being in the pandemic and staying home a lot and being frustrated that you're not doing your career, but then sort of eating the fruit that's in season, realizing like, man, I'm walking my kid around the neighborhood in ways that I've never been able to do because I'm so busy. And, and yet there's, but there's joy in the, the lives of, you know, the, the busy seasons too, you know, and, and I don't know, finding a way to be present, like you were saying is, is hard, but it's worth it if you can find that balance. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. Speaking of, being really busy and just having a lot of things going on. You know, our focus is entrepreneurship, which we've talked a lot about and that's awesome. But there may be some people who are listening that are just think that they're too busy. Like they're on the verge of entrepreneurship, but they've got young kids or they've got a career or they've got a mortgage or whatever it is. Um, so if you were to give somebody like that some advice, what would you tell them? Hmm. That's a good question. I think I would tell them, it takes grit to be an entrepreneur. I think that's the commonality between anyone who started something from scratch. And if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way, right? But always remember what matters most to you and don't ever sacrifice that, right? So I think with, I didn't start a business with young kids at home. So I I honestly can't imagine starting a business with young kids at home. It's possible. I know people who've done it. Um, but I would just remember and tuck in your pocket that one thing, whatever that is that matters most to you and constantly keep checking back in on that to make sure you're, you're keeping that safe. It's like the, maybe you've heard the analogy of the balls in the air, some are plastic, some are glass. Like you can drop some balls sometimes they're plastic. You can, you can let them fall, but there are glass ones that we can't. And so just remember what your glass balls are, but work hard stay up late that's a good one yeah stay up late yeah <laughs> how do you what's your average day look like what do you you tell, run me through an average emily day it's so good now it was so it's so different than what it used to be um when i had kids at home i mean I, my kids are i have an 11 year old boy and twins who are seven and they are all at school so my day i wake up around six um i take the dog out and get kids up and get everybody ready for school Brian and I have a, a deal where he takes them to school and I pick them up. 
So he takes them off to school and I try to work out every morning like as soon as they leave. I use my best energy on me. I had a conversation with a friend today who said, you got to use your best energy on you first thing in the morning. So that's what I do. Um, And then I'm at my desk by like nine o'clock. And then I just I work, work, work until um, and I have a team of there's nine of us and we all work remote. So we're on Zooms and, you know, whatnot all day long. And then I stop working for the day around two which is bananas to say because there was a day, there was a time in my life where that was not my schedule. <laughs> How does that compare to like 10 years ago, Emily? What did your day look like then? I My kids were at home and we had someone who came to our house to help watch the, the kids when they were tiny. And um, I would work, eight, I mean, easily like eight to five. And then once they would go to bed, I would keep working. Isn't that the lesson that we're sort of saying here? Like there's seasons for that. Do you think? Do you think you could be do you think you could be where you are now if you hadn't had a season where you did that? Wholeheartedly, no. Not at all. Not at all. And it's it's funny, like, we talk so much about, you know, or I talk so much about balance and, like, you know, valuing what matters most to you and all that stuff. Like, you have to do all those things. But in the beginning, yes, there's such a sacrifice, but it's so worth it if you just keep pressing. And it, and it, it didn't happen quickly. It happened over years of slow, you know, sometimes quick growth, sometimes slow, but just continuing to push and push with the the goal in sight. And now, yeah, I stop working at two. I go pick kids up. They come home. Sometimes I have to answer an email or do something, you know, after the kids go to bed or in the afternoon, but it's usually not a lot. And um, that's like maybe four days a week. I try to save Fridays to go to the kids' school or, you know, get stuff done around the house or whatnot. It's crazy to say that's my schedule. It almost feels wrong. <laughs> You ground, you grinded it to get there to that. I mean, Brian says that a lot. Balance isn't always, yeah. Brian, who is a future podcast guest, I hope too, because oh, he's like super, super good. <laughs> he is. That'll be a good episode. But, but balance isn't just. I think. I think it's. It's hard for us as people to not think about balance as a daily thing. And sometimes earlier in career, balance is a weekly thing or it's a monthly thing or sometimes it's a yearly. Like maybe you got to run a year out of balance where you're just working, working, working. But you better understand that like the next year or there is a future year where you have to um, where you have to do something that gets back the reason why you actually are living and breathing. Right. Amen. I've a couple of years ago. I hadn't realized this, but I remember telling Amanda, my wife, um, I just realized that I have not taken a vacation longer than a three-day weekend uh, in 11 years. Wow. Right? Yeah. And I it didn't, I mean, I had been on a lot of work trips where I'd take a day or two here and a day or two there, but it was net, like, when was the last time I had taken a week to just unplug? And the answer was never. And you sort of realize that that's some of the stuff you have to do. Not 11 years. That's that's overkill. But at some point, you got to pay that bill. That rent is due. And you've got to take some time back or you're just going to burn out and you're not going to be any good at the career that you're putting so much effort into. Yeah, I've I've done the same thing. As I mentioned earlier, like I will outwork anyone, but I I burn out so easily because I because I do that to myself. You know, I go so hard and it just I, I've had to learn how to like pull back a little bit and take care of me and, you know, spend time filling my cup so that I can pour out. Final question that I want to get to here. And this is, you know, you have a you have a lot of you have a you have a built a great community around you and your brand. And it's really awesome. And there's a whole bunch of people that would love to get to 
a version of what you've done, not necessarily the kind of business, but you know, to, to live that story that you've talked about where, you know, you started out, you didn't know how you're going to get there and you figured it out. So if you're talking to somebody who has the passion to start something, is willing to do the work and just doesn't know how to get the courage to get started, what would you tell that person? I would tell them to utilize everything you have. And I wrote, a, I wrote a book called Growing Boldly, and we talk about this a lot in there, that we we often look around and think, well, I can't, I have this idea, and I'm passionate about it, and I'll work hard, but like, I don't have XYZ that so-and-so has, or I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough time, or we constantly say the things that we don't have in our toolkit to start something. But in reality, you actually probably have a lot more than you realize. You have friends that you could ask you know, I'll watch your kids one day, you watch mine, or, you know, I'll watch all the kids, then you watch all the kids. You have Google. I mean, I learned everything I know off YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Every design skill I have came from watching YouTube videos. Um, There are so many things at your disposal. Your community may have some type of support for entrepreneurs. There are so many things at our disposal if we are scrappy enough to go and look for them. And so never count yourself out. Never count yourself out because of your season or your circumstances. There are more people and more things there to help you than you realize. Mm. So if you don't have resources, you got to be resourceful, I guess. Amen. Yeah. Yep. You got to go find them. Exactly. All right. So is there, you you teased this earlier, is there a simplified Trapper Keeper coming out? Like what? I wish. No, the funny story about, you know, cutting our wholesale program and we close that door. And when you sometimes when you close doors, it makes space for other doors to present some, present themselves. And a couple of months later, I got an email from a company called ACO. And I didn't know what ACO was. Turns out it's the American clip company and they invented the paperclip. And they also um, are the Trapper Keeper company. And so they uh, offered to partner with us to get our our products or a version of our products into retail stores like Target and Walmart and Office Depot and Staples. And so we got to partner with them to bring this, the sense and sensibility of the simplified brand to more people with products at a lower price point um, in those stores. And that was just like an absolute dream come true that we would not have had bandwidth for, you know, had we had we not closed that door prior. You found a better way, right? You found the right way. way. And it didn't require me to get on all those airplanes. And technically you're telling me that simplified traffic keepers not off the table. It's not off the table. I mean, I listen, I am I am here for this. If I can go the way of Lisa Frank, like I saw a meme the other day that said, why did we all, you know, in the 80s grow up wanting to become marine biologists? It's because of all those Lisa Frank folders and trapper keepers with the dolphin. Yeah. (laughs) Life goal. It's very true. I'm hungry for a Capri Sun now. Like you said that, like I'm feeling very nostalgic. Emily, thank you so much for being here. This was a pleasure. I knew it was going to be great. I could talk to you for two hours straight. Same. You're wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much.